Week 16, a promise is a promise. We finished last week in the story of David where King David went through a time where there was a rebellion in the land and he took care of the rebellion and his kingdom has been restored and um, everything is being unified right now. And he, he took care of this little guy from a no, no one town called Sheba. Uh, he, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He tried to cause a rebellion against a unified um, uh, kingdom. And uh, David took care of it. And now the kingdom's unified. We're good to go. But then a problem arises that we're going to read about tonight. And what that problem is, it is a problem called famine. And famine is basically a time where there is extreme hunger. There is extreme need. There's uh, no crops are being developed. There's nothing is going on to create anything for them. There's no rain. There's no nothing going on. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I feel like I'm in the midst of a famine where maybe you're doing everything right, but it seems like everything's going wrong. And no matter, let's get real, no matter how many commands of the Bible you follow, it almost makes you wonder, does this thing actually work? You pray for things and prayers don't get answered. You give money and your money keeps dwindling in your pocket. And you go to church and you hear things like have faith and no matter how much faith you have, it almost seems like there's no return on the investment. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that tonight because I believe God showed me how to deal with famine. I believe God showed me if you're in a place where you're doing all the right stuff and nothing's moving, there's a key to get it moving. How many of you want to get it moving? Look at your neighbor and say, let's get moving. <laughs> let's get moving. So oftentimes we get surprised when we deal with an issue. We say, I'm doing everything right. Why am I dealing with this? So let's read 2 Samuel starting in uh, chapter 21, verse 1. This is the first part of verse 1. There was a famine, in case you didn't get that by now. There was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about it. There was a famine that lasted, how many? Three years. So David asked the Lord about it. And when I read that, I couldn't get past verse 1 because I started to wonder why did it take David three years to start asking God what's wrong? And maybe it's not such a bad thing because I think sometimes in seasons of without, the church and Christians try to make everything spiritual and not everything spiritual. If you don't have a job and you're not making money, you don't need to pray for money. You need to go get a job. <laughs> If you're at a place where you need advice and you're not in the Word, you need to get in the Word. There are some things that are not spiritual. There are some things that you don't need to pray about. When God says don't lie, you don't need to pray about whether or not you're going to lie. When God says honor your father and mother, you don't need to pray about do I need to honor my father and my mother. No matter if you like your mom or your dad or not. There are certain things that God says this is how it is and this is how it works. But there are certain times, like what we're talking about, where you're doing all the right stuff. You're going to church, you're praying, you're building a community, you're, you're raising your kids right, you're honoring God with your time, you're honoring God with your treasure. There's all these times we're doing things right, and it's like, why isn't anything going right? And David's probably in this season. For one or two years, he's probably thinking, okay, you know, there's, there's some lack of rain, there's some drought, 
There's some famine in the land. Let's manage what we got. Let's make it work. You know, there's times in your life where, it, you know, especially during the holidays, money gets tight. So you just got to make it work. You got to do some things. David was probably just kind of, okay, let's, let, let's get through this. Let, let, let's be encouraging. Let, let's do the right thing. Year three comes and he's like, all right, God, I'm doing all the right stuff, but we need some rain. We need some food. We need something. We, we need a breakthrough. And after three years, he says, God, what is going on? Because you're way too good. This doesn't make sense, God. Because if you're that good, I shouldn't be in this much need if I'm doing all the right stuff. Philippians 4.19 says this, The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He's got all the stuff. He's got all the riches in heaven. And he says, that God who has all that will supply my every need. So if the word tells me that he will supply my every need and my every need ain't being supplied, God, it's time to talk. Because I got some needs. I got some hashtag bills. <laughs> I got some hashtag debt. <laughs> I got some Christmas shopping. To, I got some things to do. So look at, let's look at the rest of verse 1. There was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years, so David finally asked the Lord about it. And the Lord said, the famine has come because, don't you wish you always had that from God? You broke because? You single because? I wish God would talk to me about that. <laughs> oh, Lord. Speak to me, God. The famine, the famine has come because... Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. Now, we don't see this recorded in the story of 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel up until now. And if you've been with us any amount of time since July, we've covered the entire story from the moment David was fighting giants, uh, when David was a shepherd, all the way to this place in his kingship. We've never seen the story, but apparently somewhere in the reign of the previous king, King Saul the one who called David to go fight the giants, he attacked and killed some Gibeonites because King Saul started out as a good king and he probably had some good intentions and he was trying to get all the land back and all the territory back to God. And I think we're there sometimes. We, had, we got the good intentions and we're trying to do all the right stuff. We're trying to gain territory. We're trying to win battles and we're, we're almost become like there's bold, there's confidence and, and then there's like, at what point is it your pride versus it the boldness and courage of God? And King Saul is at, has been at this point somewhere in his reign where he took out some lands and territories and killed some Gibeonites. And immediately, look what happens in verse 2. So the king summoned the Gibeonites. He didn't sit and wonder. He didn't say, well, God, what does that have to do with me? And I think a lot of times when God reveals some stuff, the first thing we do is we say, God, what does that have to do with me? How was that? A, he didn't. He just all right. He, king, the king summoned the Gibeonites. They were not part of Israel, but were all that was left of the nation of the Amorites. The people of Israel had sworn not to kill them, but Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to wipe them out. David summons them. Note he didn't argue with God. He didn't say, "Well, Saul's dead. Why are we being punished for that man's stuff?" And I think sometimes. In life, we feel like, why am I being punished for my mom and dad's or grandfather's or previous generation's sins? 
Why is what they doing affecting me? Why do I have to deal with that? Why do I have to deal with all this stuff going on? Why do I have to deal with the sins of our forefathers? Why do I have to deal with the, the decisions of our nation? Why am I being affected? Why me? Why me? And David doesn't have that conversation when God says the reason you're in famine is because someone else did a sin. He said, all right, bring me the people. You see, David, David remembered something the moment God said that. That Israel had made a promise. A promise is a promise. Israel made a promise, a covenant, to never kill the Gibeonites. You see, back in the book of Joshua, Joshua was leading the Israelites, and they just fought the battle of Jericho, 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 and the walls came <laughs> they, they, just, they just fought the battles of Jericho and Ai and the Gibeonites heard about it and they were next in line to be destroyed by Joshua and the armies of Israel so they were afraid so what they, would, what they did being neighbors being the next town in the path of destruction they devised this plan to make them think, to make the people think that they were someone else. So what they did is they said, let's make Joshua and the army think that we're not the next town, that we're not the people. So what they did is they got old donkeys, put them with worn-out clothes, put moldy bread on them, and they came to the camp. They came in a false representation of what they really are. You ever seen those people who they're doing pretty good, but when they need something, it's like they put on the right face, and, and you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, like they're, they're people that you can't say and talk to, but when they need something, you look so pretty today. <laughs> or, or you know those people that, like, they're having a good season, but then all of a sudden, you start hearing, well, this has happened to me, and this is, and woe is me, and, and I don't know. And they put, on, they put on this false representation because they're actually scared of what's going on. They don't know what to do. That's what these people did. They came to Joshua, and they looked poor. They looked, uh, they looked broke. They looked like they had no food. And in Joshua chapter 9, I'm going to read just four verses for you. This is what happened. It says the Israelites examined their food, but they didn't consult the Lord. And step one. So then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. Because as far as Joshua and the army knew, they were like, all right, these guys are legitimate. They're wanderers from a far off land. They need protection. So they made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. A promise is a promise. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. Idiots. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reach their towns in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephara, Biroth, and Kiriath Jerem. Sure. Verse 18. But the Israelites did not attack the towns. Why? The Israelites' leaders had made a vow in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. They made a vow in the name of God. And you know the great thing about God? He does not break his promises. He does not break his covenants. So God honored this treaty in his name and said, All right, I'm going to spare these people because you have made a covenant in my name. And that shakes me a little bit. Because when I read that, I start to think about all the promises I made to God and how many of them I actually went 
and follow it through with. God, I'm gonna. I'm, I remember when I was little. God, if you did this, I'll build you mansions and build you temples. Well, y'all, y'all, y'all have been through that, you know. God, if you would just give me this breakthrough, I will do this for you. And then we get the breakthrough, and all we do is we say, "Praise your name," and we don't follow through with things. And granted, that's a very elementary thing, but I wonder how many times we've made treaties with God. Well, in Psalm 103, it says this: "But Lord, your endless love stretches." from one eternity to the other unbroken and unrelenting see the name of our church is scripture toward those who fear you and those who bow face down in all before you your faithfulness to keep every gracious promise you've made to keep what every promise you've made passes from parents to children to grandchildren and beyond you are faithful to all those who follow your ways and keep your word. When covenant is made in the name of God, it does not just affect you. It says it affects you, your children, your children's churn, and they churn, and they churn, and they churn. And if you don't know what churn is, you're too white for this house. Just a bunch of kids. On and on, amen. On and on and on and on. It affects generations to come. And here we are, generations later, and King Saul, in all his glory, throws away a covenant that Joshua made in the name of God. What was the covenant? What was the promise? We won't touch the Gibeons. We won't touch the Gibeonites. And Saul, thinking he was doing a good thing, Breaks a what? A promise. Even though a treaty had been made, they went ahead and killed them. But what does the scripture say? I am faithful to those who follow your ways. And sometimes, church, we go through famine. We go through a time when we're in need. We go through a time when we're not productive. We're not seeing fruit in our lives. And we wonder why, 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 why. And oftentimes the answer is, is there any part of God's covenant that you've gone back on and has caused a season up to go without? Everyone's like, dang. <laughs> because... What's the answer? You know, like, God, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And because David at this point in the story is doing the right thing. He's repented of his sins. He's got the kingdom back. He's taking care of rebellion. His crazy behind son, son is, is done. He's passed away. Everything is right. And all of a sudden, famine for three years. And he asks, what are we going through famine for? And God says, it's because of what someone else did in my name. And you're the next generation to take care of it. I was talking to the students this Wednesday night about something. One of those students, I think, is getting baptized tonight. And she got, like, every answer right Wednesday night. <laughs> Morgan, the one embarrassed right now. And um, I thought that it would be a perfect illustration for this message. Justin, would you mind standing up real quick, ma'am? Man, that was quick. Ooh, let's go. Wait, wait. Let's go. Let's, go. let's keep going back. Redhead Jesus. All right. So I'm going to start with Proverbs 20, 24. Throw it up there. It is the Lord who directs your life. I read the scripture last week, actually. 
each step you take and every move you make, he'll be watching you. No, no, no. For each step you take, I'm a multi-generational preacher. For each step you take is ordained by God to bring you closer to your destiny. So much of your life then remains a mystery. Every directive that God gives you is for one purpose, to bring you into your destiny. So this is the illustration I'm going to make. We're going to pretend that red-headed Jesus is my destiny, okay? I, let's pretend that this is the image that God saw of me <laughs> before I was born, okay? <laughs> okay? And let's say <laughs> that this is where I am in my life. God says, that's the destiny that you can't see, and it's the mystery that you cannot comprehend. And the only way that you can get to your destiny is to take every step that I've commanded you to take. Because every step I've commanded you to take is a directive to bring you closer to your what? Your destiny. Every directive. When you're at the grocery store and you get that that earning, that, 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 that I need to bless someone, I need to, I need to pay for gas, I need to call someone and pray for them, I need to do this, I need, I need to serve at the church, I need, to do, I need to go above and beyond in this area. Every directive, every directive, every step is if you follow this step, it brings you closer to what you cannot see and what you cannot fathom. We always talk about faith, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me tell you where we've been taught wrong. Faith is not, I have faith that it will happen, and one day it will happen. Faith is, I can hold that which I can't see, an idea in my hand. And until I see it, I still got it. And it's faith until I get it. So this is how faith works. Let's say God has called me to be a great man of God. Okay? And let's say that right now I'm not. Faith is I'm a great man of God. And every I'm not going to sit and wait to become a great man of God. I'm going to take every step with faith until I see what I've been holding on to. It's like starting a business. You have Steve Jobs had faith that he would create the biggest wave of technology in the most simplistic form. And until he saw it, he built a company simply on Every directive, every step of your life is a faith step toward a destiny that you can't see. Is this making sense? This is good. Now, keep standing there, redhead Jesus. Matthew chapter, Matthew 5, verse 17 through 18. Don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, 
until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail, the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if I have a purpose, not even the smallest detail can go undone. And this is what happens in life. We take the right steps. I honor my mother and father. I, I, I'm worshiping God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And all of a sudden, you've done all the right things, and you get to this place, and you're stuck in famine. And you're not moving. Nothing's happening. You're stuck. God says, not even the smallest detail can go unnoticed. And if I'm in a place where I'm stuck and nothing's happening, if I'm going to take the next step to get into my destiny, maybe I've got to look at some things and say, is there anywhere in my life where I've broken covenant with God? Anywhere. Because what we'll do is when we're stuck, we look at the stuff that's related to what our situation is. We got money problems, we look at our money situation. But maybe God said, hey, remember back here, you broke a covenant with me? You lied to get ahead? It got you here, but you cannot go to the next place until you bring some justice to the breaking of my covenant. Because a promise is a promise. And when we say, Jesus, I am coming to you, and I am I'm going to repent of my sins, and I'm going to believe that I am redeemed in you, and I'm a new man, a new woman in you, I am a new creation in you, and I'm going to walk by you, and I'm going to walk by, by, by your laws and your commands, and I'm going to walk in faith, not even the smallest detail. Some of us have got some forgiving to do to get you out of famine. Some of you have some repenting to do to get you out of famine. Maybe blessing to get you out of famine. Maybe tithing to get you out of famine. Maybe praying for someone that you don't like to get you out of famine. Maybe blessing someone that you feel like they don't deserve a blessing. Can I just, can, can I just go off for a second? Blessing is not just for the people in need. Even people who have need blessing. But, but what we do is we put a human standard on it. Well, I'm going to bless those who need it. Yeah, but what if someone who has plenty can only be moved in their heart by being blessed by something that they don't need from someone who's in a lesser position? We put all these human parameters on, and God's like, no, 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 I, I, I've commanded you. Heal the sick. Pray. Love. And I'm convinced that God is telling us tonight that if you're in a season where you ain't moving and there ain't no fruit producing, there has been a breaking in the covenant somewhere. Because God's plan never changes. It's like Simon and Peter. This is Peter, and I'm Simon. Jesus said that Peter means rock, Simon means weed in the wind. 
changes with every mood and everything. Y'all, y'all, y'all know people like that? You know, the, the, the littlest thing changes everything about them? That's how Peter was. But Jesus did not look at, at Simon and say, hey, Simon, let's build a church. He said, hey, Peter, let's build a church. Because God is not interested in, in carving out your destiny based off of who this man is. He calls you what he sees your destiny is. And walk by faith and not by sight. What if part of breaking covenant is God says, believe who I've called you to be, but you still think you're wretched and you're poor and you're pitiful when God says, I've called you righteous. I've called you to be pure. You don't earn purity. He bestows it upon you. Let me tell all the sinful, wretched, ugly people in here, you're pure, you're beautiful, and you're righteous. So start walking like it. Not earn it. Not get it one day. You already are that. Well, I don't, I don't deserve that. Yes, you do. Because he made you unto righteousness. You do deserve great things. You do deserve to be blessed. You do deserve to be fruitful. Why? Because he put that on you to become what you can't see. Let's have a seat. So, this good? This is how serious is, God, is about God and his promises. You remember... Like, there's, there's this story not a lot of people talk about. Uh, it had to do with some water and a boat and some animals and some people. <laughs> Noah, the ark, the flood. After God destroyed the earth, he promised, I'm never going to destroy it by water again. And yet, for some reason, people spend more time preparing for hurricanes rather than speaking against them. Anyways, when he promised them he won't destroy the earth again, he, that's God, that's, that's a Holy Ghost amen right there. When he, when God promises, when, when, when see y'all made her leave, when God, she's cool, when God promises Noah I'll never destroy the earth again, what does he show as a promise? A rainbow. Look at Revelation 4.3. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow. Even the throne of God is surrounded by his promises. And he says, not even the smallest detail. And there are so many times where we've broken covenant with God and we always say, well, God will forgive me. Yeah, but in order for him to do that, you've got to get real with it and say, God, here I am. What justice do I need to bring? And sometimes it's something as simple as I forgive. Sometimes it's something as simple as repenting. But sometimes you've got to make some things right with some people. Because every detail, we're called to be one church. We're called to be a unified body of believers. And yet, for some reason, people think God's going to move of when you leave one house and get with the other and never make amends with the other house. Because it's a new move of God. And there's revival there. No, I, I, you know, Reinhard Bonnke passed away today. I don't know if you know that. 
and he said something incredible in his life. He said, we keep praying for revival to come. And he said, what we need to understand is revival never left. He said, stop praying for revival to come and start walking in revival. And the church is at the standstill of when is God going to move? And God's like, when are you? Because I've told you to walk by faith and not by sight. You want to see a move of God to walk with me. And he's like, why don't you start walking with me so people can see a move? After all, walking is the move. Is this okay? <laughs> he's serious about his promise. He surrounds himself with it. So, verse 3, we got like 35 verses to go. I'm just kidding. 2 Samuel 21, verse 3. So David asked them, well, what can I do for you? How can I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's people again? The Gibeonites were the ones who were wronged out of the breaking of covenant, but they were also at the mercy of Israel and Judah. And King David didn't come with dictating terms and say, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to make... No, no, he said... How can I make amends for what someone else did? How can I bring justice? How can I serve you? There's a common scripture that we've gotten totally wrong. It's Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord, someone say, wait on the Lord. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall not run, they shall not be weary. They shall walk and not, not faint. I want to focus on the very first part. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting has some definitions. There's the expectancy. We expect him to come, so we wait on the Lord. There's this idea in some of the ancient Greek and Hebrew. It talks about waiting as three strands being put together. So, so in the waiting, you're joined together with trust and patience. But there's another part of wait upon the Lord that no one talks about in the original language. If you go to a restaurant, who comes to your table when you sit down? A waiter. Let's read that again. Those who wait on. Those who wait on. The part of the original Greek and Hebrew that no one talks about, it's those who serve the Lord shall renew their strength. And I don't know if you know about a waiter or a waitress. I know some in here. Sometimes you wait on people that are awesome to serve. But most of the time, you don't. They needy. They mean. They bitter. They're cheap. <laughs> that's, that's describing some of y'all in here. <laughs> And sometimes the Bible says, Jesus says, when you have served the least of these, you've served me. How do I get strength in a time of famine? God, give me strength. No, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So there's patience in the serving while you exit famine. <laughs> but we we this is we're in famine. God, would you please just pour out your mercy on me? And he's like, I did that like on the cross. 
God, God, would you would you just bless my family? Yeah, I already did that. Can you just walk out your blessing? Because what we have been conditioned to in the church is I'm going to wait and I'm going to be patient. But I don't ever see a waiter or a waitress sit down at a restaurant. They wiping tables, they refilling jugs, they serving people. They 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 they, they the most loving people. Kind of. <laughs> They're but the church is waiting instead of waiting. And this is what David gets. He's like, I'm not just gonna wait for to hope that we're good with the Gibeonites one day. As soon as God tells him, drops everything, and he goes to the Gibeonites and he says, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I make this right? And look how they respond in verse 4. Well, money can't settle this matter between us and the family of Saul, the Gibeonites replied. Neither can we demand the life of anyone in Israel. What can I do then? David asked. Just tell me and I'll do it for you. They said, we don't want money. We ain't all about eye for an eye. He said, it's not, we don't want to kill people in Israel. And he says, okay, well, what can I do? Because that's what we try to do. We try to make it right by getting even. And getting even and bringing justice are two different things. Sometimes the justice that God seeks you to bring looks nothing like how you think it should be paid. Verse 5, then they replied, it was Saul who planned to destroy us, to keep us from having any place at all in the territory of Israel. So let seven of Saul's sons be handed over to us. We'll execute them before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. All right, the king said, I'll do it. They said, we want justice for what's been done under his leadership. We want justice for what your previous king did to us. Let me read a Psalm 37, verses 27 and 28. If you... Put it up on the screen. If you truly want to dwell forever in God's presence, forsake evil and do what's right in his eyes. The Lord loves it when he sees us walking in his justice. He will never desert his devoted lovers. They will be kept forever in his faithful care, but the descendants of the wicked will be banished. There are so many of us in famine in need and waiting for more and all God is calling you to do is do what's right and bring justice to a broken covenant because look at the promise he loves it when he sees us walking in justice but we're so scared to admit what we've done as if God doesn't already know you think about the garden when Adam sinned God what was the first thing God said where are you you really think God didn't know where they were He knew where they were. He just wants us to be honest with him so that he can get us back to where we're supposed to be. When he said, where did you go? They left his presence. And in walking into where I'm supposed to be in my destiny, every step is walking in his presence. And if there's a time when you're not being fruitful, there is nothing but fruit in the presence of God. So you need to kind of look back and say, where have I broken covenant? What do I need to bring justice to? What do I need to look at? What conversations do I need to have? What prayers do I need to pray? 
It's not about paying penance. It's about a promise is a promise. He doesn't overlook it. It doesn't mean you're, you're destined for hell. We've done a horrible job of painting that picture. God does not want you to love him because he doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to love him because he wants you to love him. We get, we, we get scared. Well, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to burn for eternity, so I need to do this. And God's like, let my love move you, not the fear of hell. Humble yourself. There's been some covenants and promises that I've broken. And I'd rather lose a little and be kept in his care than have, and, than have everything and be in famine. So look at verse 7. Well, the king spared Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson, because of the oath, because a promise is a promise, that David and Jonathan has formed before the Lord. But he gave them Saul's two sons, Armani and Mephibosheth. Now, make, keep it straight. There's two Mephibosheths. There's a son, and then there is a grandson who was named after his uncle. Make sense? Whose mother was Rispah, daughter of I. Ai. He also gave them five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, the wife of Adriel, son of Barzillai from Meholah. The men of Gibeon that executed them on the mountain before the Lord. So all seven of them died together at the beginning of the barley harvest. Hmm. The beginning of the barley harvest. Interesting. In a time of famine, justice was brought at the beginning of a time of harvest. You see, the barley harvest was significant in ancient Israel. What they would do is they would actually check the barley stalks to see if it was time for Passover to be observed. And if the barley husk was still covered in grain, they would add a month to the calendar. So sometimes there was 13 months rather than 12. Because they moved purely on when it was time to harvest. And there was many harvests. There was the barley harvest, there was grape harvest, all kind of harvests. The barley harvest was the very first one. And at the barley harvest, to begin getting fruitful, they would offer first fruits. And because of that, when we talk about the barley harvest, it usually refers to people as overcomers from the resurrection of Jesus because just like they offered first fruits for that harvest, God said, let me offer mine for your harvest. I'm going to offer my one and only son so that I could get you. It's important to remember that the only reason we can do anything is because he has overcome the world. And if he overcomes the world and our identity is in him, then we are identified as overcomers. And a lot of times, in order to exit out of famine, we've got to get to the harvest. Sometimes we've got to offer our first fruits. Because Romans 12, 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we try to overcome evil by getting 20 people together and pray against evil spirits. Overcome evil with what? 
nothing wrong with praying against principalities and territories. We do it every Monday night here. But there's more to it than just prayer. It's prayer partnered with walking. How do I get out of the how do I get out of a place where there's emptiness and I'm getting overcome by evil and overcome by the demonic and overcome by principalities and overcome, overcome? Well, you you do not you cannot be overcome by evil. You overcome evil with justice. You overcome it with good. Take identity as an overcomer and bring the justice that has been made available to you to the people, to the broken covenant. Let me give you another way, Luke 10, 2. These were his instructions. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Workers. Workers. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers. What do workers do? Bring justice and broken covenant. So that there's good news to be told about the first fruits of his son. And the reason he did it all is so that we could still be harvested and so that we could go out and bring the harvest. But we get stuck. We're not doing anything. And we're praying for great things. We're praying, God, do something, God, do something, God, do something. He's like, I, I, I mean, I've said it in, a, in the scripture, it is finished. We, we are the ones that are called to walk out everything that's been accomplished. And in Genesis 8.22, it says, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night. So if you're in famine, how can you experience harvest? You sow good seed into the ground. You sow justice into the crops so that the crops can start producing. So that when you check the harvest, it ain't closed up anymore. It's open. And it's open because you have put the first fruit of covenant before you. Is this, is this okay? So watch this in verse 10. Then Rispah, daughter of Ai, the mother of two of the men, spread burlap on a rock, and they stayed there the entire harvest season. She prevented the scavenger birds from tearing at their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. When David learned what Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went to the people of Jabesh-Gilead, retrieved the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan. When the Philistines had killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa, the people of Jabesh-Gilead stole their bodies from the public square of Bethsham where the Philistines had hung them. So David obtained the bones of Saul and Jonathan as, the well, as well as the bones of the men the Gibeonites had executed. Then the king ordered that they bury the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, at the tomb of Zillah in the land of Benjamin. And after that, God ended the famine in the land. Let me read verse 10 again in a different translation. Look at this. Throw it up there. It's the New King James Version. There you go. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth, spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. Remember, they were in famine. What were they waiting on? Rain. 
And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. The mom of two of the sons held a vigil until the rains poured. The rain came. The famine was over. Justice was satisfied. Israel was delivered. And David gave justice for justice by giving the sons and Saul and Jonathan proper burial, honoring them. Because there is a lot of injustice. There is the killing of Gibeonites. There was blood spilled all over the land. And when God showed David that a covenant had been broken, there's only one true way to bring justice. If blood was spilled, blood's got to pay. So, we, so the people said, we don't want money. We don't want to take care of the Israelites. Saul spilled our blood, so you got to spill his. It's equal payment. So give us the seven sons. In Numbers, it actually says that the only atonement for a defiled land would be the blood of the one who defiled it. We defile all kind of stuff. Generations before us have. Our parents, grandparents, their grandparents, their parents, us. And the word says the only way to pay for what you defiled is your blood. And then God says, but I love you. So I'm going to take care of the blood payment. And I'm not going to bring my son, kill him, and put him on a cross and resurrect him just so I can show you a cool magic trick. Blood's going to clear your name, but I'm not letting your blood be it. So I'm going to send my first fruits, my one and only son, and I'm going to spill his blood so that your land is no longer defiled. And because I have paid the first fruits, the harvest is ripe. And it's ready. But where are my workers? And what if, what if there's like a place here in Savannah's Pooler, Bloomingdale, wherever we're at, where God's got this insane vision for the city to be wrecked by him and in love with him but the church isn't here we're still here because we haven't given the first fruits and we haven't taken care of covenant the church has become the most judgmental organization on the planet and you wonder why the lost are turning to sin I'm going to tell you why the lost are turning to sin it's not just principalities it's we're, rep we're misrepresenting light Satan gives the enemy permission to move in darkness. You know what darkness is? Ignorance. They are so lost in sin because they are ignorant to what is right. And instead of showing them what is right, we judge them for walking in that which they do not know. Oh, but the harvest is plentiful, and we're going to come to church, and we're going to worship, and we're going to have good music, and we're going to get a good word. And we're going to pray. Where are my workers? Get to the field. 
well, how do I get to the field? How do I get to my destiny? Well, a promise is a promise. I've given you some commandments. I've told you not to lie, not commit adultery, not murder, honor your mother and father, not gossip. I've given you the commands. I've told you to love your brother. I've told you to love your neighbor as yourself. i told you to bless your enemies. Do I really need to tell you how to get there? Because every command I've given you brings you into your destiny, and that is why so much of your life still remains a mystery. A promise is a promise. We now have the authority of a righteous man. He's clothed us in right standing and justice. And the last verse I want to read again, verse 14, it says this. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zillah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king, they performed all that the king commanded, and after that, God heeded the prayer for that land. The prayers that they kept wondering, why are we still in famine? It was all answered. Because of one covenant that was broken, and David bring justice to it. You see, Jesus has already brought all the justice. You need to have the authority to go make justice. He, he, said, it like, he said it like this. He says, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And then with that, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. Why is the church still praying for God to do it? He, he says, I gave up my one and only so that I could have many sons and daughters. We got people being baptized tonight, making a proclamation that we believe in Jesus and God lives in us. So why are we saying God do it when God said, I've multiplied myself in you. You're the workers. Now go harvest my field because I've made the field worthy to produce. Remember, the last book in the Old Testament, between that and Matthew, there was about 600 years of silence. They didn't hear from God. Famine. And then Jesus comes and restores it all. And we're still wondering what's the next step. We have the keys to the kingdom. We have the authority. He said, let me take care of the fields. I'm going to make sure they're producing. Let me take care of the land. I'm going to pay the defilement of my blood. And now that the land is good, and now that the crops are good, I'm going to make you worthy. We always talk about how everything's getting worse. Maybe, maybe it's not. We, we look at Savannah and we, you know, I, I hear people say this all the time and I'm in agreement that there's a dark cloud over Savannah and there's so much evil in Savannah and there's so much this. But maybe we're looking at Savannah with earthly eyes. Maybe we need to start looking at it as what it is. Because in my Bible, heaven is not a place in the clouds. Heaven is where God is. And if God's in me, I'm in heaven. I walk in it every day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is. Heaven is dependent on you walking in the presence of God and carrying it wherever you go. So I don't care if you go to, if you walk near a bar or a, or a building that has a witchcraft symbol on it, there is no territory, no cult, and no nothing that is more powerful than my God. So I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to be scared. I'm going to walk in my authority, and I'm going to harvest that crop. And he's going to get all the glory. But we got to start with figuring out why we're in famine. 
It's broken covenant. And the last thing I'll share, and I'm going to close. In Matthew chapter 7, it says this, verse 7 and 8. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Hmm. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receives. So if you're not receiving what you've asked for, it's because you've got some covenant. Because the law is, when you ask, so if you're not receiving, that means you're in famine, and you're in famine because you've broken covenant. Because a promise is a promise. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So if you're living on a side of life where you're knocking and nothing's opening, you're seeking and nothing's being given, you're asking, you're not getting, you're, you're knocking and no one's answering. Maybe the reason is simply one thing. Promise is a promise. And there's some things in the covenant that we've got to bring justice to. Maybe it's on your behalf. Maybe it's on your parents' behalf. Stop being mad at mom and dad for what they did and bring justice to what they did. They're humans too. I'm guilty of this too. Anybody, anybody ever heard messages about me and my sister? Me and my sister, we love each other, but you would never know it in a conversation. And, you know, in reading this, you know, I, I, I've got to realize some things too. Do I want to stay in family because I'm too prideful to just cover her in love? Or do I just need to start covering her in love so I can get out of the family? Do I want to stay in famine because I've got unforgiveness or should I forgive so I can get out of famine? Sign up to God. It's up to you. Because a promise is a promise. Amen.